Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Alyssa Volgaweed, and I am the Connections Director here at Element Church, and I just want to welcome you here this morning, whether you are here in this uh, space with us or whether you are joining us live online right now in the comfort of your living room or wherever you're listening to this. We just want to welcome you this morning, and We're going to be jumping into the series that we've been going through for the last four weeks. We're jumping into week five this morning. And for the last four weeks, um, what we've been doing is we've been going over the the big story of the Bible, so the grand narrative. And the Bible is composed of a lot of different books with a lot of different stories in them by a lot of different authors over a really long period of time. And so there's all these puzzle pieces that we've been kind of collecting and taking a 30,000-foot view of what the big picture of the Bible really is. And so if you haven't had a chance to, to catch any of those previous messages or you've missed a couple of them, I'd really encourage you to go online to our website where we have all of our messages there for you to listen to and kind of catch up on where Adam has been taking us. And for the past four weeks, just to give you a brief summary, he's walked us through the Old Testament and given us some of these big pictures of what the big story of the Bible is. And so today we're jumping into week five of this series And as I was preparing for this message this week, I came across this story by Donald Miller, who is an author, and he tells this story of teaching at this Bible college class. And he gives a lot of description about the class that he's teaching, that the students that he's working with and teaching have had a lot of other previous classes up until this point, and goes into depth about the amount of knowledge that they've gained about the Bible and where they're at, and so he decides to quiz them on the big story of the Bible. And he says, I, I want to present the gospel to you or the big picture of the Bible, but I'm going to leave out a, an important detail along the way, and I want to see if you can catch it. So tune in, pay attention. And he goes into a lot of what we've been talking about. He starts with creation. He talks about how God designed it in the beginning, that all along God wanted intimacy and connection and relationship with us. And that we see the fall happen where Adam and Eve sin for the first time and we see in that that shame enters the picture and with it fear and death and all of these other things and ultimately that it leads to separation from God, that Adam and Eve are removed from the garden because of that. Donald Miller continues to go into depth on the sin that we still see prevalent in our world today. He talks about the pain and the destruction and the death that we see in our world today because of sin. And that it doesn't matter how much we strive and we work for it and how much we try to be morally pure, that ultimately there's nothing that we can do to repair the brokenness that exists between us and God, but that God is in the story all along the way saying, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to leave our relationship this way. I'm going I'm to repair it. And that he goes into depth about how the Bible talks about that ultimately our sin leads to death. That because of our sin, we deserve death and, and forever separation from God, but that God doesn't want it that way and that he has a plan to step into that and to repair it. 
And he talks about grace and forgiveness, that when we turn from our sin, that when we repent from it and we turn back to God, that, that God pours this forgiveness and this mercy on us, that he repairs that relationship and restores it back to what it should have been like all along. And he even goes into all of this detail about God's promises for us that one day he's going to make it all right again. That just as he designed it in the garden, everything is going to be made pure again. That there will be no more suffering and pain and death and destruction. That all of that will be gone. And that we will once again be in relationship and communion with God just as he designed it. And so he wraps up this narrative and he sits back and he says, okay, if you were paying attention, what did I leave out of the gospel? And he sits there for a while and nobody can figure out. It it seems like he painted the complete picture of the big story of the Bible. And so he waits. And I want to read what he said because I think it's really powerful. He said, I presented the gospel to Christian Bible college students and I left out Jesus. He left out Jesus. He says, nobody noticed. Even when I said I was going to neglect something very important, even when I asked them to think very hard about what it was I had left out, even when I stood there for several minutes in silence, to a culture that believes they go to heaven based on whether or not they are morally pure or whether they understand some theological ideas or they are very spiritual, Jesus is completely unnecessary. At best, he is an afterthought, a technicality by which we become morally pure or a subject of which we know. Jesus is completely unnecessary. I don't know how that resonates with you when you hear that story that that he could share an entire gospel presentation and leave out Jesus and nobody notices. Or those words that Jesus is completely unnecessary. I know that when I read it this week, my heart just sunk at that thought of how have we gotten, because I think this story extends beyond just that one context and that one group of students. I think that this can extend out to our culture, that we are a culture that somehow believes that I go to heaven based off of if I have the right theology, if I pray the right prayer, if I have the right morals, or I I try really hard to do the right thing, that, that ultimately it's on me to earn my salvation and to do the right thing to get to heaven. That I don't need a savior to do that and that Jesus becomes unnecessary in this whole story. And that's just not the case. See, Jesus was a part of this story all along, right? Adam's been talking about that we see this foreshadowing of Jesus showing up over and over and over again in the Old Testament, that it all points to him, that this is the climax of the story. And today we're talking about Savior, that that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is the climax of the story, but it's not just that. It's not just that he's the climax, because he is the creator and the author of the entire story, He's at the beginning and the end. He, he's everything to this story. And somehow we can leave him out of the story and not even miss him. 
I started to wonder, like, what makes it that we can miss Jesus in the story when he's the most important piece of it? And a part of me wondered if it's because we often hear about Jesus a lot, right? Which is such a blessing. We live in a nation where we can talk about Jesus all the time. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard about Jesus every single Easter and every single Christmas. You hear about him in Sunday school and hopefully you hear him preached every single Sunday. And I think sometimes we become so familiar with Jesus that we lose the weight of who he is. We forget the importance of who he is. And so today I want to talk about giving just a a fresh perspective of what Jesus came to do. Because what Donald Miller was, was driving at is that when we think about our salvation as believing a set of theological ideas, praying a certain prayer, doing the right thing, that ultimately it's about us earning our salvation and it's less about Jesus. And see, I can know a lot about Jesus. I, I grew up in the church and so I, I heard about Jesus a lot. I can know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't mean that I know Jesus. Right? Those aren't the same thing. Just like I could know a lot about the Queen of England. I could have a lot of facts about her and detail about her life, but that doesn't mean I know the Queen of England, right? Knowing a lot about somebody, having a right understanding of them, doesn't necessarily translate to a relationship with them. And so I want to talk about this idea of what Jesus really came to do because I don't think he just came to give us a correct set of beliefs and to tell us how to behave and act. What he did is he came into our world and he said, I'm going to do something different. What I designed in the beginning in the garden for us to have relationship together, that's what I want again with you. And so he stepped in our our world to be with us because ultimately what was designed in the Garden of Eden was this relationship, this connection, this intimacy, and that Jesus steps into our world and into our circumstances to be with us and be in relationship with us, and it's not just about a ticket to heaven. Dallas Willard, in one of my favorite books by him called The Divine Conspiracy, he opens up his book like this, and I think it's really fitting for what we're talking about. He says, my hope is to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus, especially among those who already believe they understand him. In his case, quite frankly, presumed familiarity has led to unfamiliarity. And he goes on and he says, very few people today find Jesus interesting as a person or of vital relevance to the course of their actual lives. He is not generally regarded as a real-life personality who deals with real-life issues, but is thought to be concerned with some feathery realm other than the world we must deal with and must deal with now. See, I think this is part of it, that not only do we kind of put Jesus over here because we know the story, we know the ending, we have it figured out, but we don't believe that Jesus steps into our circumstances right here and right now and is here to deal with 
what we have to deal with right now. But that he, he's off in heaven that one day, if we have that ticket, if we believe the right thing, that we'll be in heaven with him. And we miss Jesus. See, I think this is actually what happened with the Pharisees as well in the New Testament when Jesus shows up on the scene because it's interesting, all these puzzle pieces that we've been putting into place, all this foreshadowing that God does, the teachers and the Pharisees, they knew a lot of this. They knew the prophecy. They knew the scripture. They were awaiting their Savior, right? And we could go through, we could look at the Old Testament and all the ways that it foreshadows Jesus coming. Like, you think about Adam, who the Bible refers to as the first Adam. Jesus is later referred to as the last Adam. And it's because Adam is this foreshadowing of what Jesus is ultimately going to come and fulfill. You have Adam, who is made in the image of God. He's the reflection of God. And then you have Jesus, who comes after, and he's not made in the image of God. He is the image of God. And then Adam, ultimately, because he is the first creation, he gives life to all of creation, but because of his sin, he also ends up giving death to all of creation as well. And then Jesus shows up, who is the ultimate life giver. He is the creator of everything, but he takes death off the table and gives us eternal life. He completes what Adam couldn't complete for us. And then you see with Adam that um, when he sins and he experiences shame for the first time, that God steps in. And um, Adam Young talked about this in the second week about the fall where he, he talked about that a sacrifice had to be made in order to cover Adam's shame. That there had to be death that an animal was put to death in order to create a covering for Adam to cover him. And then we see with Jesus that he's ultimately our covering, that through his death and sacrifice on the cross, that he then covers our sin and our shame with righteousness, that we are clothed with that in him. Like, do you see how everything that Adam was ultimately pointed to Jesus? That it was all a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to come and fulfill. We can look at Abraham, who Abraham had a a son who he loved very much. He had been waiting for the son to come. It was his one and only son. And God asks him to, to use his son as a sacrifice, to place him on the altar And at the last minute, God intervenes. And he provides a ram that takes Isaac's place on the altar and saves him. And later we see that this is what Jesus does for us on the cross, that we deserve the death and that Jesus steps in as the sacrifice for us and takes the death that we deserve. We could talk about Moses and and the Passover, right? The whole story of Moses, or a piece of it, is that they're leaving Egypt, and 
God has sent all these plagues on Pharaoh. And the last one is that if Pharaoh doesn't let Moses and the Israelites go, that God is going to kill every firstborn son in Egypt. But he says to the Israelites, I'm going to give you protection from this. And how I want you to do that is I want you to take a spotless lamb I want you to sacrifice the lamb and make sure not to break any of its bones. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and cover your door with it. And when I see that blood that covers your door, I will pass over your house and spare you from death. And we see later, I mean, do you see the... Jesus showing up in this story that at Passover, Jesus shows up and he says, I am the sacrificial lamb. His bones weren't broken when he died and his blood was spilled on our behalf. His blood covers us and saves us from death. I mean, do I, and I could go on and on and on about all the ways that the Old Testament, ultimately what it's doing is it's pointing to Jesus and saying, these are just a foreshadowing of what I'm ultimately going to do to repair this relationship between us. And see, I could, I could go into a lot of detail and give you a lot of facts and knowledge about the Old Testament and all the ways that it does that. And even hearing a small portion of it, some of you may be sitting there going, cool. That's awesome. And there's no impact on us and the way that we live. There's no transformation or change in learning more knowledge. Knowing a lot about Jesus isn't the same as knowing Jesus. Right? I mean, can you see that knowledge is a piece of it, Knowing a lot about God is not the same as knowing God and having a relationship with him. See, I could know a lot about the Queen of England. I could know her history. I could know a lot of facts about her. But at the end of that day, that doesn't translate to a relationship. It doesn't mean that I know the Queen of England and, and we're like best friends, right? That's not how that works. There has to be this relational peace to what we're doing with the Lord. And so I want to look at some of the reasons why Jesus says that he came. We're going to jump into the Bible and we're going to look at a couple different places of where Jesus explains what he's doing and what his whole ministry is. We're going to start in John 10.10. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life abundant. Now, if we have that thinking that Jesus doesn't impact our daily life, it's really just about one day in the future in heaven, then do we read that scripture, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, do we read that and think, well, God left me stranded here in my circumstances and everything that's going on, and that that life abundant is for one day in the future. Like, do we really believe that? Or do we believe that Jesus came to give us abundant life now? I believe that he came to give us abundant life now, that our lives should look different because of Jesus in it, because we're walking with him, because we have a relationship with him. 
I want to jump to Luke 4, starting in verse 16. Um, And just to give you a little context, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just been out in the wilderness for 40 days and being tested. And it says that he comes out of that with just the power of the Holy Spirit within him. And he begins his ministry in a really interesting way. Um, And we're going to pick it up in verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So let me just pause. So Jesus gets up in the synagogue. He, there, he's given the scroll of Isaiah, and it's our book of Isaiah, but it's in scroll form. And he doesn't just start reading from the beginning. Jesus comes in with a very clear intention of where he wants to start reading. And so he rolls through the scroll until he finds the exact spot that he wants to read. And this is what he reads from the the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, what Jesus is saying is that he came to do these things, to proclaim good news to the poor, to set free the captive, to give sight to the blind. And he says, Today, This prophecy that you've been waiting for has been fulfilled because I'm that person that you've been waiting for. And do we believe that that's what he does, that he steps into our circumstances and he gives us liberty? I mean, or do we believe that that's for one day in the future? Do we believe that all of this, what it's really about is that he died on the cross for me, he forgave me, and it's really just for a ticket into heaven, and one day we'll experience this kind of freedom that he talks about. I mean, that's what we sing about, right? I mean, you, you look at the song Amazing Grace, and it says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And does it say, I once was lost and I'm still lost? Like, is that what we sing? I once was blind and I'm still blind, but one day, hopefully when I'm in heaven, all of that will be taken care of. No, that's not what we sing, right? We believe that Jesus has the power to impact our lives now, that there should be a transformation in our lives because of our relationship with him. I want to flip to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It doesn't say one day you will be a new creation, that it's all just about heaven. It says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. 
It's happened. There should be a transformational power in our lives. We should look different because of walking with Jesus. We should be new creations, right? Later, it's described in the Bible as that we were dead in our sins and we are made alive in Christ. I sure hope that I look a lot different than a dead guy. I sure hope that the power in me, that Christ's transformational power in me makes me look a lot different than somebody who's laying in a grave right now. We should look different. And so I want to look at a particular story in the New Testament that I think just is a really great example of what Jesus' ministry was all about on earth and what he came to do, that it, it wasn't just about something for after this life, that he really came to meet us in our circumstances. And the New Testament has a lot of amazing stories of Jesus stepping into people's circumstances and meeting them where they're at. And this story in particular, I just really love. Um, I think that it takes a look at somebody who is probably in the worst circumstances you could ever imagine. And so if you will, turn with me to Mark 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. And just to give you a little bit of context to this story, Jesus is in a boat, and he's headed over to a region called Decapolis. And What we know about the Decapolis region is that it's a pagan region. So there was a lot of Greek and Roman influence in that area. Their spiritual practices were all about Greek and Roman mythology. And so this wasn't a, a Jewish area by any means. And so Jesus sails over to this, this region and he encounters this man here. And we're gonna pick it up in verse one. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. This is an area that's right just on the coastline of the Decapolis region that we were just talking about. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So let me just pause there. The picture that's painted in this story is that there's this man who because of unclean spirits living within him is not in his right mind. He has been outcast to live on the, the far edges of town in the graveyards and in the tombs. Some other versions of this story in the Gospels describe him as naked, describe him as violent, that no one wanted to pass by on the road that was nearby him because This man was terrifying. I mean, can you imagine being naked and living in a graveyard and not being able to think clearly, being completely out of your mind, isolated, full of anger and rage, and crying out night and day and and physically hurting yourself? And that was this man. And then Jesus showed up. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. 
It says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, this is Jesus, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. I mean, can you imagine seeing this? This moment where this man who is completely crazy encounters Jesus, falls down before him, and, and the next thing you know, your herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs, all of a sudden lose their mind and just run off this hill and drown. I would run off terrified too. And that's what they do. They run off into the city and the country. We're going to pick it up back in verse 14. It says, And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus shows up on the scene and everything in this man's life dramatically changed. Dramatically changed. So much so that this man is like, please take me with you. I want to go with you, Jesus. Right? He has this experience with the Lord that radically changes who he is, and all he wants to do is follow Jesus. Jesus didn't show up in that moment and offer this man correct theology or tell him how to behave. He showed up and he was with him in his circumstances. And he changed everything. See, if it's interesting because Jesus says, I want you to go home to your friends. I, I listen to that and I go, what friends? This guy was living alone in the graveyard. No one wanted to be near him. I'd be like, please, Jesus, don't send me back there. These people pushed me away. I don't want to go back to them. Just let me go with you. But that's not what happens. Jesus has such an impact on this man that what Jesus tells him to do is to go back into this region and this man just starts to share with everybody what the Lord has just done for him. 
and everyone marvels. It's interesting because here everyone's terrified. They've just seen all of these pigs die and they're terrified of what Jesus has just done. But a couple chapters later in Mark, you actually see Jesus back in this region and the response of the people is very different. Instead of sending Jesus away because they're terrified of him, they gather around him. They want to learn from him. They, they're asking him for healing and miracles. And I have to believe that it's because of the impact that he had on this man's life. That this man going out and sharing his story and his testimony with people radically changed this entire region. So much so that they welcomed Jesus in. They desired him. I love this story because I, I think it speaks so well of Jesus stepping into somebody's circumstances, the worst that we can imagine, and meeting him where he was at and, and being with him and healing him and restoring him, bringing him back to a place of right relationship with the Lord. I resonate with this story a lot because I feel like there have been pieces of my story where I've been in these seasons of just desperation like this man where I just, I needed the Lord so badly. And a piece of that story is probably the most impactful part of my story and what really radically changed my walk with Jesus. And you know, throughout my life, I, I've been through a lot in my life. I've been through a lot in my childhood, more than most kids should have to go through. And I learned through that that I had to learn how to manage a lot. And one thing that I'm so thankful to my mom for is that she brought us to church every Sunday. And so despite the circumstances of my childhood, I grew up learning the truth and I often describe my relationship with Jesus as just feeling like I kept bumping into Jesus, right? Like I had all these moments of, of church, of learning correct truth and understanding who he was and of right thinking about him. But then I would have these, these little moments where I would experience him. But I don't think I quite grasped that you can have a relationship with Jesus, that it's this ongoing thing and it, it's tangible, until I was probably in my 20s. And um, my mom at this point, had my parents had been divorced. My mom got remarried and he, I was out of the house. And this guy, Scott, shows up on the scene. And man, Scott was just one of those guys who was just so full of joy all the time. So happy. He was one of those people that you would see and think, is this, are you really this happy and you would talk to him about Jesus and you, he would just light up like the passion that he had for the Lord was infectious. And so I wasn't really interested in getting to know Scott at the beginning. I, I kind of was doing my own thing and had my own life. And as much as I tried to push Scott away, Scott just worked so hard to push himself into my life and let me know, I'm here for you, I want to know you, I want to connect with you. And he just tried over and over and over again, no matter how hard I pushed him away. And it just got to the point where I, I couldn't help but let Scott in and love him like he was just such an amazing guy and so full of joy and love. And, and so Scott comes into the picture and 
um, just very easily ends up becoming a part of our family. Then one day I get a phone call from my uncle. And he says, Alyssa, are you sitting down? And I immediately, I mean, fear just comes over you when you hear words like that. And he ends up telling me that Scott, earlier that day, had taken his life. I can't describe to you just how confusing and the pain that came with losing Scott in that moment and, and the preceding months of pain that followed losing Scott. I mean, it just devastated and wrecked my family. We, no one saw it coming. And I quickly sunk into this depression that was so dark and deep that I can't even describe how deeply I was in it and how much darkness I felt. I mean, it, it was interesting because my whole family were going through the same loss, and so it just kind of felt like we were all just kind of limping along, broken and devastated and kind of dragging ourselves through it. The people that I, I thought were going to be there for me, my friends and my community, they weren't. And looking back on it now, I can recognize that they just didn't know how to be there for me. They had no idea how to meet me in that darkness and that brokenness. But in the moment, it just felt like I had been completely abandoned. I felt alone. And I didn't, for the first time in my life, I didn't know what to do. It literally felt like the, the ground had come out from beneath my feet and I had no way to get any bearings and the depression got so bad, I was seeing a therapist at the time, and she said, gosh, Alyssa, your depression is getting so bad that at this point, I really think that you need to be medicated. And I just thought, how have I gotten to this place in my life where all of a sudden I need to be medicated for depression? And the darkness just continued until one night, I'm in my bed, alone, and just in so much pain that I couldn't take it anymore. And I just thought, I don't know how much more I can take. I just want this to be done. And everything in me just wanted to end it. And I, I came up with a plan. I planned to carry it out that night. Like, I just could not bear the weight of it all anymore. And then God stepped in. It was about three in the morning. I don't even remember doing this, but apparently in the midst of me sitting there and contemplating how I was going to carry this all out, I picked up my phone and I sent a text to three people in my family and all I said was, I'm struggling. And how at 3 a.m. my family got that text message is only because of God. Because about 15 minutes later, those three were on my doorstep they just laid with me that night. They just held me, and they were w there with me in the pain. And that night, God stepped in and physically saved my life. There's no other explanation for how that happened. And the pain didn't go away, and the depression didn't go away. And about a month later, I'm I'm still hurting, I'm still in the darkness in the midst of this, and I'm standing in this prayer circle, and I don't really even remember the circumstances. Like, my whole life during that season just feels like a blur of darkness. I don't remember the circumstances of why I was even in, in this prayer circle or what we were really praying about. 
But there's this woman across from me who I don't know, and to this day I have no idea what her name was even, and she's in the middle of a prayer, and all of a sudden she stops in the middle of her sentence. I'm sitting there waiting for her to continue, and there's a really long silence to the point that I open my eyes because I'm thinking, what happened? Why did she stop her prayer? And all of a sudden she says, the Holy Spirit has just put somebody on my heart who's in this prayer circle right now, and I don't know who it is, but I have the sense that it's a, it's a woman here in our prayer circle, and I feel like God is telling me that there's a spirit of depression on her, that she is so weighed down by this depression, and so I just want to stop and pray for her right now. And she said the most simple prayer. She just said, Jesus, I just pray that right now that you would lift the spirit of depression off of her shoulders in the name of Jesus. And I can't describe what happened in that moment other than it just, it literally felt like this physical weight lifted off my shoulders. And I all of a sudden felt this sense of love and joy and peace just wash through my entire being for the first time in months, I smiled. In that moment, it, it felt like Jesus showed up next to me in the, the darkness and the pain, and he lifted that weight off of my shoulders. And he didn't change the circumstance, because what I would have asked for in that moment is for Scott. That's what I wanted. I wanted Scott back. That would have fixed everything. And Jesus showed up in that moment and he didn't change the circumstance. He just lightened the weight of it. And he said, I'm here with you in this. And we began to walk together through the pain and the grief of losing him. Jesus showed up and said, There's a relationship here. I want to walk with you through life. I want to show you what this can look like. So I just, I want to ask you right now, as you listen to these stories of Jesus just showing up in these circumstances where he has this power to transform and change that ultimately what Jesus wants is to step into relationship with us I want to ask you right now to just maybe close your eyes, to quiet yourself before the Lord. There's no one that is watching you or is going to be asking you about about what is really coming up for you, but I, I want you to just have an honest conversation with the Lord right now. I want you to look into your heart and spend a moment asking the Lord what your relationship looks like. Have you been walking with Jesus for a while, but walking with him looks a lot like knowing a lot about him and less like actually knowing him? Or maybe you have had these moments where you've walked with Jesus in this really intimate way where your relationship is just so strong but you're in a season of life that is tough and you've kind of been striving to fix it yourself and Jesus feels really far away from you right now. Maybe you've never heard 
a lot about Jesus. You don't really know who this guy is, and you don't know what it looks like to, to have a relationship with Jesus. No matter what you're kind of thinking in your heart as you reflect on what your walk with the Lord looks like, I want you to just spend a few minutes with the, the Lord. We're about to move in time, into a time of reflection and prayer we're going to end with a, a last song, but before we do that, I just want you to take some time to really examine your own heart and examine, have I, been, have I been in this just for a ticket to heaven? Has it been all about what I can do and having right beliefs or right theology or doing the right thing and less about a relationship with God? And if that's a, the case, that's okay because Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus doesn't force his way into your life. He doesn't force you to have a relationship. It's what he longs for. But he just stands and he patiently waits for you. And so if today you feel God leading your heart in this moment to to take a step forward and begin walking with him, or to take that step towards him once again because you've gotten off track. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment to take that step towards Jesus. Let me pray for us. So as you sit here, before I pray, I just want you to listen to this invitation that Jesus gives us. This is found in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it's from the message version. I just want you to soak this in. Jesus is saying to you, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to me. So, Lord, we just come before you. I thank you for that invitation that it's not just about something after this that you don't leave us abandoned in our circumstances but that your invitation is to come to you and to learn to walk with you so God I just pray over every person that's listening to this message wherever they're at just lift them up to you Lord I pray that whatever you are doing in their hearts right now Lord that you would just meet them in their circumstances that you would whisper that invitation to them, that you would say to them, come to me, and you will recover your life. I pray for everyone out there that's listening that that you wouldn't hesitate to move towards your Lord and your Savior, who came from heaven to you to be with you, to restore a relationship with you and bring you back to him. And so, Lord, I just lift all of this up to you. And we love you so much, Jesus. We just pray this all in your